right. See, not amazing this morning. Incredible. Powerful. Redeemer. Restorer. Compassionate and patient. Miraculous and awesome. He is this morning. So let's pray. Let's just go straight to him this morning before we dive into the word. Let us just, let's talk with him a minute. Hey God, we love you. Lord, when we think about the reality that we were prodigals, we were castaways and runaways, God, Lord, we were downtrodden and beaten, God, Lord, we were broken and neglected, we were sinking in our own sin, and you called us sons and daughters. God, it just levels me this morning. I pray it levels us as a body, as a church, as a fellowship, as a, as a family, as a gathering. God, and I pray this morning as we walk into your word or as we walk into Romans chapter 9 this morning, we ask you, God, for a baptism of grace and a baptism of spirit, a baptism of your word, God, Lord, that you would immerse us in your word and in your spirit. And we know this morning, God, Lord, that we're not clever enough, we're not crafty enough to figure out the deep truths of your word on our own. So what we need this morning is the incredible power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We acknowledge, Lord, that we are incapable of understanding your word without the Holy Spirit, God. This is not just some cognitive exercise to where we're going to compute and put some facts together, God. This is where we're going to lay ourselves on your altar and say, Father, speak. Speak, Lord. Your servant longs to hear you. We long to hear you, God, this morning. Your church longs to hear you. And God, we're desperate to hear your voice. We're just desperate, God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, open with me to Romans chapter 9. It's right after Romans chapter 8 and right before Romans chapter 10. Um, let's read together. Romans 9 verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. There will be, that's where we're going to stop this morning, hopefully we're going to get uh, to verse 5. 
But there's something about this text that, excuse me, I use the word arrest this morning because last night when I was reading this text, I thought about the anguish in Paul's mind and the anguish in Paul's heart. And just for me to put this in context for you, what's going on. So why is Paul in such anguish? What's going on in the book that makes him feel this way? Well, Paul is obviously loves his kinsmen, the Jews, right? So he's looking and he's writing to a church in Rome that is largely Gentile. So Gentiles are coming to know Christ Jesus, nobodies. They're coming to know Jesus, people with no pedigree, people with no heritage, the, the ones who weren't God's chosen people in the Old Testament are coming to know Christ in droves in the New Testament. And Paul is looking with his eyes on this mass of Jewish people who are not repenting and not receiving Christ and not chasing Christ. And he's saying, I'm breaking in anguish. So I, I want you to know the context, what we're looking at, Paul, what he's really feeling, what's going on inside of him, and he's broken. He's saying these people are the ones that should get it. Like, they, like it's from their line that Jesus came. It's, they're the Jews. They're the ones that have, you know, from them the prophets have come. And they've been preaching this Christ for thousands of years. Like, they've been telling the story of the gospel. Why do they not get it? Surely the Jews, they came from your bloodline. You have the patriarchs. You have Abraham, Isaac. You have all these guys who have been telling of the Christ that would come, the promise that would come. And he was broken in anguish because the people that should have didn't get it. You know what that equates in my mind this morning? Baptist doesn't equal Christian. Methodist doesn't equal Christian. Pentecostal doesn't equal Christian. A life surrendered to Christ equals Christian. Do you hear me? Paul's brokenhearted because he's like, these people have it all. They have the word that was given to them. Historically, they have all that they need. But they still don't have him. And when I thought about Paul's brokenness, I was, I was intrigued because this is really, you know, there are other spots where Paul's writing and he's, he, where he talks about his suffering and he, he talks about being wounded by even fellow workers in the church. He talks about that in some texts. I can't imagine why he would write about that. But um, like Paul is always talking with emotion, but this is one part of Scripture where he kind of just peels back the layers of his heart. He's like, I'm genuinely in anguish. I'm genuinely hurting, church. That's what he's saying. Because to see this, this people who God wants, this people who God is after, and they're perishing, and I'm broken with anguish, and in the midst of thinking and being intrigued by Paul's anguish, and I was, I was intrigued. Like, bro, why are you so upset about this? God is going to do what he wants to do. The Lord began to speak to my heart and deal with me, and it's as if God was sitting in the room with me saying, TJ, are you broken? When you look at the multitude of people in Tifton, Georgia, the multitude of people in the United States or in the world, and you see their depravity, and you see their lostness, are you broken to the point of anguish? And my shameful response was, no, God. God, no. I was intrigued, but I couldn't identify. You hear me this morning? I'm, I'm scared a lot of Christians, well-meaning Christians and preachers and church folk are, 
are intrigued by the Word of God, but they can't identify with it. They're intrigued with the power of salvation or the power of healing. They're intrigued by Jesus, but they can't identify with Him. So before we move on this morning, I want to ask you this morning, have you went beyond the place of just being intrigued with Jesus? Can you identify with Him? Can you say, my, my old life is dead and I've been resurrected to new life just like Jesus was put to death and He was raised to new life by the Father? Can you say this morning that my relationship with Jesus is more than just intrigue or more than just what my parents told me? Because we have the patriarchs and we have 125-year church history and blah, blah, blah. We have all that. But do you have Jesus? Do you have Jesus? I want to hit on three things this morning that I don't want you to stick with. That was my introduction of rant, so just bear with me. I want to hit on Paul's anguish and brokenness. I want to hit on the coldness that has swept across the church and the indifference towards the lost. And I want to talk about anguish and surrender gushing forth from a heart arrested by the love and mercy of God. When we read Romans 1, 1 through 5, we see a bleeding heart from Paul. And I think David Wilkerson sums it up well in his quote when he said, Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? Whatever happened to anguish in ministry? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You, you don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotions so stir that it becomes painful. Acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you, or around you. Anguish. Deep pain, deep sorrow, the agony of God's heart. We've held on to our religious rhetoric and our revival talk, but we've become so passive. All true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. You say, TJ, this is kind of hard preaching this morning. You're absolutely right it is. Absolutely right it is. Man, I felt so pampered when I read this text, when I heard that quote. It's a quote I've heard a million times, but I felt so entitled and pampered and ridiculous when I thought about it. And I'm not, I'm not throwing guilt on you or condemnation on you this morning, but when I thought about my brothers and sisters overseas who bear the name Christian and they're dying daily for the cause of Christ, and I'm frustrated or I'm ticked off about petty little things here, I'm like, God, I don't know what anguish is. I don't, know what anger, I don't know what it means to hurt for the lost. And there's a reason. So I, I want to walk you through a few things that I believe, looking over the scope of Christianity in the church, these are the things that caused the church to go cold and indifferent about the lost. Why do we have no zeal to be radical? It answers the question. Why, why don't we have the zeal to be radical? Why, why, don't we, why don't we anguish over the lost? Number one, if you're taking notes, jot this down. We do not see God as He is. 
Listen, He is a holy, sovereign, sin-hating judge that is going to pour His wrath out. And at the same time, we don't see Him as the only one capable of saving someone from their sin and bringing them into their kingdom. Listen, if we saw God as He really is, you say, well, I know God and I saw God. Let me read you this response. King uh, Isaiah 6, 1-5, through uh, the prophet says this, In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. And he begins to name these seraphims and these winged beasts and these creatures that are flying around the throne of God. And he said, and a voice thundered at me. That's what he said. It was a voice so thundering. When I I saw the the train of the Lord's robe fill the temple, I saw this the, the picture of the Lord and his voice thundered and I shook. And his only response was, woe is me. His only response to the, to the glory and the goodness of God for, listen, seeing God as he is, holy and powerful and just and full of wrath that's going to be poured out. When he caught a picture, a glimpse of this God, all he could do is say, God, I am messed up and everybody else around me is too. He had a picture of God as he is. Listen, let, let, let me ask you. Hell is a reality. People are going to go there. The wrath of God is going to be poured out on the wicked and the unjust and would have been poured out on you and I had not His grace overshadowed us. If we believe that wrath... Listen, I want you to hear this. If you genuinely believe that wrath was coming, that you believe that God was that judge who was going to do what he said and judge the nations one day, you would not be passive and sit in your seat and be okay. You would break with anguish when you saw someone lost. You would break in anguish when you saw someone that did not know Jesus, that did not want Jesus, and you would get everything that you have, you would give everything that you have to see them saved and know Jesus, knowing that it's on Him but it's not on you. If you had that picture of God, if you had that big, powerful, rap, and listen, I'm talking about me. When I say you, I mean me, us. If we had that picture... Woe is me. Woe is everybody else. If we could catch a glimpse of God in that light. And then this, you can't miss the flip of the coin. Listen, not only is he the holy, just God who's going to pour wrath out, he was the one that sent his son as savior. He's the savior of the world. He is the mercy-wielding, sin-forgiving, Satan-crushing redeemer. And if we truly believe that, then wouldn't we do more than just say it and sing it on Sunday mornings? Wouldn't we act on that? You say, well, why is there no anguish in the house of God? Why is there no anguish in my household? Why is there no anguish to see Jesus reach my community? Why is there no anguish? Because we don't see God as holy, just, and powerful, and full of wrath. But not only that, we don't see God as the only Savior. We turn to music, and movies, and friends, and relationships, and marriages, and money. We turn to everything else and say, this will save us. Because if we really saw God as the holy, just, wrathful God and the only one that could save, why would we not be pulling sinners in? 
Why would we not be getting out of our comfort zone? Would we not be broken in anguish? Oh my gosh, not only is there a wrath to flee from, there's someone to flee to, and I can tell people about it. So why don't I anguish? You don't see Jesus that way. Listen, listen. I'm not condemning you. I'm in the boat with you. I was intrigued by Paul's anguish, but I thought, God, I drive by lost people every day. And God forbid one of them get in my way when I've got somewhere I'm in a hurry to go. God forbid that, that lost little girl at KFC that's making eight bucks an hour, God forbid she get my order wrong. I'm going to tell her what she needs to be doing. God forbid that Walmart clerk take too long. I'm going to huff and puff. I'm going to show myself. I'm going to talk to management. God forbid they get my steak wrong. Can, can I just tell you something, admonish you in a very holy way? Shut up. What if we were so broken for the lost? Man, you can bring me the worst steak you have in the house. I just want to show you grace. You say, well, TJ, you've got to have wisdom. Really? Jesus called some people to die for him. To die. If, if there were seminary professors, some of the ones that I've listened to in the day of Jesus, they would look at Peter and say, well, Peter, you're, you're, you know, you're skilled at what you do, so what you need to do is you need to paint your boat a certain way. You need to draw people to your boat. Don't go off and die for it. You have this cool marketing scheme. you got to have this cool thing. you got to be trendy. No, no. Peter, I, you're going to die to accomplish my objective on the planet. You're going to die. So what if the way you get to die this week is to just shut your mouth when somebody gets your order wrong and tell them God bless you? To stifle that entitlement and that privilege and that ridiculousness and love people the way that Christ... Why don't you just embrace a little anguish this week and say, man, there are lost people all around me and if I'm the only Jesus they see, I don't want them to see a Jesus that's ticked off about his order at Burger King. Just chew it. It's good medicine, I promise. It hurts me, man. Oh my gosh, it hurts me. Because I'm in that boat. I'm in that boat. Listen, can I just be transparent? My wife went into Gander Mountain in Albany last week. And there was a guy that was rude to her. I wasn't there with her. I said, tell me what his name was. (laughs) I, I did. I did. I said, tell me what his name was. She said, his name was blank. I was like, all right. All right. So I drove to Albany from Tifton. And I went in Gander Mountain, and obviously I wasn't going to. There's nothing serious going to happen. If he got crazy, I might have had to handle business, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) I walked around the store for an hour and a half. I walked past him 50 times. If I'm the only Jesus, he was going to see. He was going to see a Jesus that, that, well, TJ's known to be a Christian, right? He's a Christian, but when this Christian just came and, and flipped out on me because I was rude. Now, don't listen. You've you got to hold people accountable. I'm not telling you, uh, you know, you got to hold people accountable. If someone wrongs you, you can confess that. It's okay to confess that. But listen, there should be a spirit of anguish and humility and tenderness and compassion that drapes over us. Because if we really believed that they were going to hell, would we not treat them differently? 
Would we not love them differently? Would we not invite them differently? Would we not reach to them differently? So it's not only that we have a... Man, I love what Spurgeon said, and, and I was reminded of this quote just a few weeks ago by Dana. It's one of my favorite quotes by Spurgeon. And he said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with their arms wrapped with our arms wrapped around their knees. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. Amen. So the fir first reason that we don't have anguish in the church or in our house or in our daily walk as believers is we don't see God as He is and, and we as judge or as Savior. The second reason is we don't see ourselves as we are. Hear this. We want to think that we're good. You know what I'm saying? Listen, we always think the best about ourselves, right? Can we just be family this morning? It was always the pitcher's fault. That's why I struck out. It was never because I stunk at swinging. It's always the other person in the argument who's wrong. It's not me because I have the right view, the right opinion. We want to think the best of ourselves. But listen, if we remembered that we were wretched prodigals running from the grace of God who had been pursued by a compassionate, loving God and brought into the story, would we not want the entire world to experience that same joy? So I'm asking you this morning, do we see God as He really is, the holy and just God? Do we see ourselves as we really are, once wretched but now redeemed? And if we really do believe that we were once wretched, hopeless without Jesus, but now grafted into the family by Jesus, why would we not point everyone to Him? Right? Don't tell me you think you're a wretched sinner and that you have a full view of your depravity before grace and hold on to entitlement over a cheeseburger. I know I'm beating on this, but I'm going to for a minute. Right? Like, we don't see the, we don't see the eternal perspective of, of, of Scripture here. We don't see the eternal perspective of God here. We were wretched, hopeless, abandoned without Christ. We brought nothing to the table. And now the only thing we bring to the table is Christ in us. Amen. There's no room for entitlement in that. There's no room for pride in that. There's no room for preference in that. Last thing this morning. Last thing this morning. Not only do we not see God as He is, do we not see ourselves as we are, Wretched yet redeemed. We don't see the lost as God sees them. I want you to hear this. We do not see the lost as God sees them. Hear this. We give more attention to our prejudice and our preferences than we do the mission and heart of God. You hear me this morning? If we saw the lost as God sees them, we wouldn't care if they were black. We wouldn't care if they were white. We wouldn't care if they were brown, caramel colored. If, if we really saw the loss as God seen, we wouldn't care if they lived in the best neighborhood or in the place that all of us mention occasionally but never actually go, right? Unless it's to get a good hot dog. Am I right? 
if we really saw the loss, put on the lenses of God, if we really saw the loss as God sees the loss, if we, if we looked at our, our white friends and realized that God didn't look at race and God doesn't care about race, God doesn't care about money, God cares about the, intent, the, the intentions of a man's heart. And Scripture says they're wicked, so all men stand guilty in front of God. You hear me? If we saw people the way God saw people, we would throw all of our preferences and our prejudices out the window. He said, TJ, that offends me. Good! Get offended. Get mad at me and then do something about it. Go into your prayer closet and say, God, is my prejudice and my preference right or is your scripture right? He'll have an answer. Listen. We will never have gospel influence in this community or in the world until we have a view of God and who he really is, until we have a view of ourselves and who we were before him and after him, and then until we see the lost as he sees the lost. When he sees the lost, he sees every tribe, every nation, and every tongue that does not have Jesus. The only difference between you and someone lost is that he's rescued you. He's ransomed you. He's applied his blood to your life. So this is what I'm asking you this morning. Can you anguish for somebody? You say, I want to change Tifton. Man, we hear that all the time, don't we? It gets old. I'm going to change Tifton. I'm going to change my community. I'm Do it. Do it. We've been given the keys to the kingdom. We've been given the, the truth of the scripture. We, listen, I'm talking to myself this morning. We make so many big, bold claims as a church, and, and we tweet it, and we Facebook it, and I do it. I mean, we, we make all these bold claims. When is the day that as Christians we are going to shut our mouths and begin to act out this gospel? We're going to take the gospel to every tribe, every language, every tongue. We're going to take the gospel anywhere he wants us to take it. If it means our job, if it means our family, you say, TJ, that's crazy talk. That's because we don't anguish. If we really thought people were going to hell, if we really thought that Jesus could save them, then we would be broken over the ones who weren't saved. So I'm just asking you this morning, are you willing to be broken? I realize this is the kind of sermon that usually kills off about 30 people. I'm okay with that. Are you willing to be broken? You want Tifton changed? You want to see your family changed? Be broken. You're not broken? You, you feel indifference towards the loss? Repent and get saved yourself. Then ask God to break you. Somebody had to question myself. God, why am I not broken? Listen, I want you to ask yourself. I want you to wrestle with hard questions. If we don't grow, if we don't have friction, if we don't, if we don't push each other, then we're just wasting our time in a gym. I want you to ask yourself this morning, God, do I have the capacity to be broken for the lost? And God, because you live in me, I know that I have that capacity because you're broken for the lost. God, would you break me for the lost? God, would you help me identify with this passage and be broken for lost people? Nick's going to come and we're going to have a time of response. Listen, this morning, if, if you want to see Tifton change for Jesus, if you want to reach your Jerusalem, 
during this time of invitation, during this time of response, why don't you genuinely ask God, God, would you break my heart for the lost? God, would you, would you help me to, to stop caring if I get that purse or those shoes or, God, if I get that boat or that truck? God, could you, could you just shift my affections away from that? Could you, God, could you just break me for the lost? I think a lot of us, including myself, we're afraid to pray that. Because we might end up in some very uncomfortable situations. We might end up selling all that we have and giving it to the poor. There's no telling what Jesus might tell us to do. Or, or he might just take the place that you're at, your job, your family, your school, and he might plant you. And he might allow you to bloom on your, on your ball team. He might, allow, he might plant you right there so that you bloom up and other people see Christ. He might plant you in your office, right in your office. And your office will be your mission field. And you, you gain this brokenness for the lost in your office, the lost in your team, the lost in your school, the lost in your church. Listen, when God, when a lot of people become broken about his heart, they begin to act. I believe we're in an age where the world, we're done with our talk. Done with our talk. Let's act, Amen. So this morning as we respond, you're, you're welcome to come and pray. There'll be a prayer team standing over to your right. And you're allowed, you know, obviously please come down to this altar if you'd like to be prayed for. But just pray this prayer. If you're bold enough, if you're daring enough, ask God to give you the grace to be bold enough. God, break my heart for the lost. God, break my heart for the lost. Let me pray for you and then we'll respond. Father, Lord Jesus, God, I just come before you today. God, as the, the, the guy that you've trusted to preach your word to, to this group of people, this gathered body, and God, I just confess my lack of anguish. God, I confess my lack of brokenness. I confess my, God, my, my, my privilege and my idols and, God, my entitlement at time. God, I confess my pride and my selfishness. God, and I just lay it before you. God, I lay it at your altar. And God, I pray, Lord, on behalf of those who are going to pray, God, those who are afraid to pray, those that don't know how to pray, God, Lord, I just ask you today to break our hearts for what breaks yours. Allow us to put on those blood-stained lenses from Calvary and to see the lost as you see them as precious sons and daughters that have gone astray but can come home. Father, we love you. We're desperate for you. In Jesus' name, amen.